What up, future doctors? Welcome to episode two of season four. We have a wonderful episode on a much-needed topic today, so I hope you are ready. Let's let the hosts introduce themselves and take it away. Hey, future doctors. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Elise Kao. And I'm Michelle Troop. We're third-year medical students at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine, Greenville, and we will be your hosts today. Today, we're going to explore psychogenic disorders, a group of conditions where the mind and emotions have a profound impact on the body, leading to real and sometimes puzzling symptoms. We'll discuss somatic symptom disorder, conversion disorder, illness anxiety disorder, pseudosiasis, and differing shape between factitious disorder and malingering. While these may seem straightforward, board questions on these conditions can be very tricky and it can be hard to differentiate between them. But no need to worry. With our help today, you'll be able to spot the difference by how test writers love to target these conditions. Motivation, awareness, and gain. So let's get started and dive right in with the psychogenic disorders in which symptoms are unconsciously generated. In these conditions, the patient is not intentionally creating these symptoms. They are experiencing physical manifestations of a psychiatric pathology of poorly understood etiology. Can you think of any of the symptoms that might fall into this category? Great job. There's somatic symptom disorder, conversion disorder, illness anxiety disorder, and pseudosiasis. First up, we have a 35-year-old female patient presenting to you with a 10-month history of headache, difficulty swallowing, and GI discomfort that sometimes occurs before and sometimes occurs after eating. She has had an EGD, colonoscopy, esophagram with manometry, and has seen a neurologist. All results have been normal. She keeps a detailed journal of when her symptoms appear, and they produce significant distress for her. What psychogenic condition might this patient have? That's right. This vignette is describing somatic symptom disorder, sometimes called somatization. So what are some key features to look for in vignettes for somatic symptom disorder? It involves one or more symptoms for over six months that is distressing for the patient, and the distressed experience is undeniably real. What is gain slash motivation in somatic symptom disorder? Exactly. Individuals aren't intentionally fabricating symptoms, and there's typically a lack of secondary gain or obvious external incentives. Will these patients agree to medical testing? Just like in this vignette, a distinguishing factor is that these patients are very distressed by their symptoms and will undergo extensive and invasive medical workup. How do we treat somatic symptom disorder? Cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, is the gold standard. It's also important to help minimize the amount of unnecessary invasive testing and multiple physician appointments that increases the patient's risk for complications slash harm. Okay, next up, we have a 35-year-old man with a seven-month history of a resting tremor. His family is concerned that he might have Parkinson's disease as the tremor has increased in severity, now preventing him from performing his job as a mechanic but the patient himself is unconcerned. On exam, you note that the tremor is present at rest while obtaining a history, but disappears when the patient is asked to do toe taps. It is also present when the patient is performing finger taps. What psychogenic condition might this patient have? 
That's right. This vignette is describing conversion disorder, also called functional neurological disorder. This is where there is one or more neurologic symptoms that do not follow a known neurologic pattern. For example, in the patient we described, the tremor is distractible on exam, meaning that it goes away when asked to perform another activity. This, the patient in this vignette was unconcerned with his tremor. What is that called? You got it. La belle indifference. It's not always seen, but when it is, it's a giveaway for conversion disorder. How does a patient with conversion disorder present? Well, it presents often after a major stressor with neurologic symptoms like paralysis, blindness, or seizures, and they appear suddenly and dramatically. In a vignette, it can be followed by a psychological stressor or trauma. We're gonna take a look at some of these unique presentations in conversion disorder and how you can distinguish them from known neurologic conditions. It's important to note that patients with this disorder can also present with other concomitant neurological conditions such as epilepsy or Parkinson's disease. So first up, how can you distinguish between functional paralysis and paralysis due to injury or stroke? Your biggest indicator is when paralysis doesn't follow an anatomic pattern. Other hints might be preserved deep tendon reflexes. Now, how would you distinguish a psychogenic non-epileptic seizure, sometimes referred to as PNES, and epileptic seizures? That's right. In epileptic seizures, you're going to look for signs such as post-ictal confusion, loss of bowel or bladder, and or injury to the tongue. Also, on EEG, PNES will not show any epileptiform wave changes. Now thinking back to our original vignette, how can you distinguish between functional tremor and other tremors such as Parkinson's disease or essential tremor? Functional tremors usually have different frequency and amplitudes than pathologic tremors. The specifics of different tremors are covered in a different episode, but for the purpose of this conversation, what's most important to know is that the symptom is often reduced or changed when the patient is distracted. Next, we have a 24-year-old man who comes to his PCP for the fourth time in the last eight months with the concern of having a heart attack. He has no medical conditions, and his labs at his annual visit, including cholesterol, were normal. His, his father had a MI at age 75. He denies any chest pain, but documents his pulse and blood pressure four times a day in a journal that he brings with him. What psychogenic condition might this patient have? That's right. This vignette is describing illness anxiety disorder. The big clue here versus the first two vignettes is that this patient is not experiencing any symptoms, but rather is concerned about developing a health condition. Now it can be tricky, but they can begin to misinterpret normal bodily sensations as a sign of this disease developing. What is the motivation slash gain in illness anxiety disorder? Exactly. Just like the first two, there is no obvious gain or motivator. Will a test such as a negative echocardiogram make this patient feel reassured? 
No, the anxiety will persist in the absence of medical evidence of disease. What is the treatment for illness anxiety disorder? That's right, CBT, which can help reframe thoughts about illness with the intent of reducing health-related anxiety. Our, less, our last vignette is far less commonly seen, but if you're able to remember it, you won't miss this question. We have a 22-year-old female present, present to the ED concerned that she might be going into early labor. On exam, it is evident that there is no fetus. Review of records shows several trips to the OB-GYN in the last several months, none of which show any pregnancy. She claims she has missed periods and abdominal pain. What is the condition described above called? Pseudosiasis. This is a false belief that one is pregnant. So in summary, somatic symptom disorder, conversion disorder, illness anxiety disorder, and more rarely, pseudosiasis are conditions where the patient is unconscious of producing the symptoms and is not seeking gain. Now we're going to move to conditions where the symptoms are consciously generated by the patient for gain. These include malingering and factitious disorder. What really differentiates these two conditions is the type of gain. Let's look at some examples to really understand this. Okay, so first up, a 55-year-old male patient goes to his PCP asking for disability paperwork to be filled out. He has no documented conditions on file and no documented injuries at work. He claims numbness and tingling in his feet that prevent him from standing at work. When offered a nerve conduction study and an A1C blood test, he denies and gets angry at you for not filling out the paperwork. What is present in this vignette? You nailed it, this is malingering. What is the patient's motivation or gain in this scenario? Exactly right. This patient is seeking something called secondary gain or an external gain. In this case, it's the disability paperwork. So let's take a brief moment to talk about secondary gain. It's a crucial concept to understand when discussing malingering. But what exactly is secondary gain and how does it relate to malingering? The secondary gain refers to tangible benefits or advantages that individuals gain from their feigned or exaggerated symptoms. Can you think of some other examples of secondary gain? Great! Some common ones seen on exams include obtaining medications such as amphetamines or opioids, disability benefits, or time off of work. Now, are patients aware of this motivation? Yes, this differentiates this presentation and is also why malingering is not considered to be a DSM-5 psychiatric condition. Now, it's important to note here that historically people of color and other marginalized groups have incorrectly been labeled as malingering when interacting with the healthcare system for true medical conditions that need treatment. As healthcare professionals, malingering should be the lowest item on the differential for all people and considered only once all medical and psychiatric conditions have been ruled out. Okay, so our last vignette of the episode. We have a 38-year-old nurse who presents with an episode of fatigue and abdominal upset followed by a seizure. On admission, she is severely hypoglycemic with an undetectable C-peptide. When asked to sign a form allowing the physician to see her health records from other facilities, she gets furious and attempts to leave. What condition does this patient have? Factitious disorder, that's right. 
Tests especially love this example of self-induced hypoglycemia because they can test your knowledge of insulin synthesis. So if the C-peptide being low didn't set off alarm bells, then I would go review insulin synthesis. They also love to make these patients either nurses or nursing students. Now, is this patient aware of this causing these symptoms, but what is their motivation slash gain? This is primary gain of being in the sick role and having others care for them. Remember that in contrast, malingering was a secondary gain for an extrinsic incentive. This can be tricky sometimes because there can be secondary gain from assuming the sick role, but the key is the patient's motivation. Is the patient aware of this motivation? No, they're not. Now this is where factitious disorder can be get a little confusing, but hang with us. The patient is aware that they are causing the symptoms themselves, but are not aware of the reason why they are causing these symptoms. Unlike malingering, factitious disorder is a DSM-5 psychiatric condition. What is it called if the patient is imposing the symptoms slash condition onto another person? You got it. Factitious disorder imposed on another. This is more common on TV than in real life, but if it's seen, it is typically with the parent imposing illness on their children. The primary gain is being in the caregiver, not sick role. An important thing we want to note is that these are all conditions when there is no identifiable medical or psychiatric cause. If you're given a clinical vignette or you're developing a list of differential diagnoses for a patient, these conditions are only considered once all other medical and psychiatric evaluation has been exhausted. For example, a patient with fatigue, you wouldn't consider one of these conditions until you've gotten a sleep hygiene history, a CBC, a TSH, a CMP, sleep study, etc. If the patient can if the presentation of the patient can be attributed to another medical or psychiatric disorder, then it does not meet DSM-5 criteria for the disorders discussed above. It's also important to remember that the only two scenarios where the patient is intentionally creating symptoms are which two? Exactly. Malingering, which is not a DSM-5, and factitious disorder. It's important to approach these patients with compassion and a lack of judgment. Before we go, let's recap what we've learned so far, and you'll be able to approach these questions with confidence on any test. What are the conditions where the patient is not consciously producing symptoms? Somatic symptom disorder, conversion or functional neurologic disorder, illness anxiety disorder, and pseudosiasis. Is there a conscious motivation or gain in these conditions? Exactly right. No, there isn't. Will patients with these disorders agree to undergo invasive medical testing? That's it. Yes, they will. Oftentimes, they will demand it and go to multiple physicians if they aren't able to obtain it. It's important to get these patients plugged into cognitive behavioral therapy and avoid as much possible and unnecessary testing that could expose the patient to harm and complications. Now, what is it called when a patient is consciously producing symptoms for secondary gain? Yes, that's malingering. What is it called if they are consciously producing symptoms for primary gain, but are unaware of this motivation? You got it, that's factitious disorder. 
And can you remind me what the difference between primary and secondary gain is? You got it. Primary gain improves the patient's psyche, meaning that the patient gets an intrinsic benefit. In contrast, secondary gain is something outside or extrinsic to the patient, such as money, time off, or a desired medication. All right, you've made it to the end of today's episode and you're ready to tackle any test question. These psychogenic disorders highlight the complex interplay between the mind and body, requiring careful evaluation and understanding to provide appropriate care as well as ace your medical school tests. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to this podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying, and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.